Hey, hey everyone, Annika here. I'm going to be very honest and tell you that this episode is something I wish I didn't have to do because it makes me sad. I mean, nobody's forcing me, but I cannot not talk about this. It's a horrible topic, a brutal conversation, and something I wish just didn't exist. But unfortunately, it does. In a perfect world, I want to talk about things that lift and inspire people, that make them feel there is hope, that they can take control of their situation and live the life they truly want, to be in full ownership and be happy. And I want to bring that voice in an entertaining and uplifting way. That's what I want for this podcast. And at the same time, like I shared in my very first episode, my core values are authenticity, integrity, courage, family and humor. For this episode, humor will have to fall back a little. There's a time and place for everything. So I want to talk about white privilege, or at least scratch the surface of this topic. I'm sure you've all heard, seen, or read about the horrible things that have happened lately in America. Horrible things happen all the time, all over the world. But what's been shared in media lately shows so much evil, injustice, and very uncomfortable images of how some people behave. This topic is so big and deep that I don't really know what to say that would add any kind of value because there's so much going on here, so many layers of preconditioning, cultural differences and generations of different perspectives, profound and seemingly tolerated injustice. And then there's the fact that so many people live blissfully unaware of race issues. They never have to experience it. They never have ingredients of it in their life and they don't even have to think about it at all because in their life it just doesn't exist. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Good for them, I guess, if they never have to feel pain or rejection due to racial issues and also not so good because they can or will never really contribute to any positive change as they are not aware of it. But what about those who are concerned and aware of it? What are we supposed to do to create positive change? Honestly, I don't know. I think if we knew how to fix this, how to make things right, and instill in everyone the belief and value that everyone matters, I hope we would already be doing it. But we're not really doing anything, are we? A lot of people are talking about it now, and that may be the first step in the right direction, open and courageous conversations about an uncomfortable subject like the white privilege. I think it's fair to say that in order to succeed, if you have a skin color that is not white, you're going to have to push harder than someone of white skin color. Prove yourself in more ways. Study harder. Be better than your white competitor if you want to win. And if you become really successful, it's as if the color doesn't matter that much any longer. Then you're simply measured by your impact, by your success and your power, like white people. Unless, of course, it's about sprinting in the Olympic Games, then no white person stands a chance. White people look like beginners next to a black sprinter. They're just superior. This makes me think of when I worked as an American Red Cross lifeguard in California. We're talking back in 1994, almost 200 years ago, when Sweden won the bronze medal in the Soccer World Championships. I worked as a certified lifeguard for the American Red Cross, at different locations in California. 
and the first placement was at the Sierra Butte Girl Scout Camp in Northern California. I was responsible for all the waterfront activities, the swimming pool, and the hikes up to the lake where we taught the kids canoeing. What an adventure it was. One of my colleagues there was Labelle Blueford, but everyone called her Blue. She took care of all sports activities that did not involve water. To stay in shape, we went jogging in the mornings, and because we were high up in the buttes, the air was a little thin, and it was quite challenging to jog. We wanted to enjoy the time along the forest trail and chatted about work, our favorite kids at the camp, the mean kids, and what we wanted to do with our lives. We'd start out from the main camp and set off on the path that led us out to the main road, away from the camp area. And just a few steps after we started, Blue would fall back half a step, then another, and she'd stay just slightly behind me at a 45-degree angle, which was very irritating because it made me difficult for it made it difficult for me to hear what she said. I was breathing so heavily, I heard my own pulse in my ears, and I had to focus on my breathing as I felt that even if you inhaled, you didn't really get any air in your lungs. And on top of that, I had to turn my head so I could hear what she said. I waved her forward with my arm, I did the little come on move with my head to get her to catch up, but I didn't get it. Why why did she do it? I was wondering if it was some clever sports strategy or mind game to slowly break your competition and then when the moment was right, you strike and just take off. But that didn't make sense. We were not competing. Not at all. We were together. Really good friends. We both knew very well that if she wanted, she could just take off like one of Elon Musk's rockets and leave me behind. I had no chance against her. And we were out jogging together. That she did this falling behind thing was so incredibly irritating. Then one morning I just stopped, partly because I almost couldn't breathe anymore, but mostly because I couldn't stand it. Why do you keep running two steps behind me? I can't hear you. She didn't say anything. Blue, why do you run behind me? Why can't you run next to me so I can hear what you say? I don't know. I guess it's just a habit. What do you mean habit? With my track team, I always ran behind the others during practice. Why? You're the fastest runner. You want everything. Again, she didn't say anything. The reason she ran slightly behind was because she was trained to know that was her place. That was the first time I experienced feeling ashamed over my race, over white privilege. There was tension in the air, not between her and I, but the overwhelm of the situation. She didn't want to know her place was slightly behind the white person. I absolutely did not want to have a better place than her because we had different skin. We didn't know how to deal with it, not not really knowing what it was. For Blue, it was just a way of life, like having to eat food that you don't really like. But you know, you still have to eat. For me, it was something new, something that suggested that I am worth more than her because of the color of my skin. Neither of us chose our skin color. Both of us have to deal with what we got, even if under that skin that we both will hurt and cut and carry through life until that skin is old and wrinkly, underneath that skin, the color of our blood is the same. It's red. This past weekend, I asked my friends, who all have red blood, but we have different color of skin. I asked them what they feel. 
Some of the things they shared with me were so horrible, I just spent the afternoon crying. Here are some of the things they said. How do I tell my girls that our people are hunted down like animals, without compromising their confidence or instilling fear in them? I acknowledge that I am traumatized because I have seen a man being murdered slowly on camera, and it wasn't a movie. I tell my son to text me every time he arrives somewhere, just to let me know he got there safe, that he's still alive. My son is tall, very well built, and black. As a mother, I am scared all the time that he will be at the wrong place, at the wrong time, and someone who doesn't know anything about him will murder him because he's black. I felt that shame again. The shame of carrying the white privilege. I like to think of things in a positive way, to be in control of my life rather than in victimhood. But if I flip the shame into gratitude and you say, I'm so grateful for my white privilege, it just makes it very sick, really, so twisted, I don't even know what to say. There's just no empathy in it. And without empathy, I'm not sure you're a human. You're just an animal. With white privilege comes white fragility, not being comfortable talking about these things. It's much, it's much more convenient and way less disturbing to just swipe the whole conversation under the carpet and pretend we're not concerned. But that's clearly not working any longer. We, we're going to have to talk about this from the perspective and the fact that we all have red blood, except for maybe royalties. I've heard they have blue blood. That's a tiny bit of humor there, and I think that's okay. If you're neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. That's a quote by human rights activist, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, Desmond Tutu. Don't be neutral now. Make sure you have an opinion, a healthy one, that is based on respect, mutual respect, and then take action on that opinion. We can't just talk about this. We have to do something. And until we know exactly what to do, we have to keep on talking about this, starting in schools, making it part of foundational education, the value of human life, and that the color of our blood is red. Thank you for listening.